last few moments as we open your word, as we look at this passage, Lord, as we uh, just grab some truths from it and understand some truths from it, Father, I pray that you would please uh, guide us and help us, Lord. I pray that you give me clarity of mind, Lord, to be able to be used above you. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Matthew chapter number 14, and we just started Matthew 14. We ended last week in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be a few weeks in Matthew 14. There's a lot of just great stories and and things we need to look at. Um, Tonight, we're just going to look at the first uh, 14 verses, kind of the first story there in Matthew 14. And if you look at verse number 1, the Bible says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus. Now, Herod is a name that you'll find throughout the scripture, and I want you to just know this just as we're, as we're talking about it. Herod is not a name. It is a title. It's like a president, okay? So you'll, you'll read in the Bible about Herod a lot, but there's different Herods, just like there's different presidents, you know? So that's not the name of an individual. It's actually the name of a family, kind of like Caesar. It was uh, a title that was given. And the word Tetrarch there, uh, the title Tetrarch is actually a transliteration. And um, the only reason I'm talking about it is because I want you to, to kind of see how it fits into the story. But in the Roman Empire, this was a governor of the fourth part of a county or a country or a province. So they would have like an area like like the state of California divided into four sections and a tetrarch was the governor of that section. So it's a pretty high up position in government there. The Bible says at that time Herod the tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus. So Jesus is in that stage. We've been talking about it. He's in that stage of his ministry. He's very popular. He's preaching to thousands. I mean in this chapter we're going to see there that he is going to preach to all over 5,000 people and feed them uh, with with uh, the fish and the bread there. So his fame is going, I mean, this is this is a very popular time for Jesus. Look at verse 2. And said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. So he heard about the fame of Jesus and he said, this Jesus is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. Therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Now I want you to just remember that phrase because we're going to talk about that a little bit. It says, therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. So, John the Baptist was dead, and we're going to see here in verse 3 that it was actually Herod the one that had him killed. And he's dead, but John, Herod hears about Jesus, and he says, this this Jesus is just John the Baptist risen from the dead. Now, I I want you to notice just that phrase. It says, therefore mighty works to show forth themselves in him. Look at verse 3. For Herod had laid hold on John, and bound him, and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. So he put him in prison because of his brother's Philip's wife. So his sister-in-law, his brother Philip, his wife, it was for her that he had John put in prison. Now you say, well, why, you know, what was that for? Look at verse 4. For John said unto him, now the him there is referring to Herod, the political leader, the king, the governor, the guy in charge. I mean, these were not governors like we have governors that we vote in and we vote out. These guys were appointed by the Roman Empire. You didn't just get rid of them because you didn't like them, okay? These guys had power. They could put people in prison. They could put people to death. And John, I want you to notice, John the Baptist said to him, Herod, look at verse 4, for John said unto him, notice, it is not lawful for thee. Notice the word thee. That's a singular. He's talking to Herod. John the Baptist said, it is not lawful for thee to have her. Now, we're not exactly sure how this relationship went, but it seems that Herod is in a relationship with his sister-in-law, his brother Philip's wife. Now, I don't know 
if he was committing adultery with her while she was married to Philip, or if she had divorced Philip and he was marrying her. But either way, it's adultery. Either way, it's a sin. Either way, it's wrong. And the Bible makes it very clear. If you marry someone who's been prior divorced, you're committing adultery. Jesus already taught us that in a prior chapter. So, John comes on the scene, and he's preaching, and I mean, this is not your, you know, health and wealth, just come to church and let me help you feel better, and let me give you hope, and let me give you... I mean, the guy's preaching, and he's pointing at Herod, the king, the governor, the guy ruling, and he says, you are in sin. It is not lawful for thee to have her. Now keep your finger there in Matthew. Go to Isaiah just real quickly. Isaiah chapter 58. Let me just show you something uh, just real quickly. And I want you to understand the Bible is very clear. Biblical preaching is pointed preaching. Biblical preaching, the purpose of it is to call out sin, is to help people get right with God. And listen to me, most people need to have their sins pointed out to them. In Isaiah 58, look at verse 1. God here is, is taking the prophet Isaiah through a little bit of Bible college, and God himself is teaching Isaiah how he should preach. And in Isaiah 58, in verse number 1, the Bible says, cry aloud. Somebody you ask me, why do you yell while you preach? Well, God told Isaiah to yell. That's what the word cry means. The word cry in the Bible means shout. It's not our word cry like I'm crying, you know, tears. That, the Bible word for that is wept. But here God is telling, he said, I want you to cry aloud. He said, I want you to shout out loud. He said, spare not. That means don't pull any punches. That means, you know, don't, don't spare anybody. He says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Now notice this. He said, he said, I want you to cry aloud. He said, I want you to be dynamic. He said, I want you to yell. I want you to not spare anything. And here's what I want you to do. Notice. And show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. And I would challenge you to show me a verse in the Bible where God ever tells a prophet or a preacher or any man of God that your job is to get up and encourage people. Now look, I'm all for encouraging people, and from time to time I preach an encouraging sermon, but today we have this philosophy where preachers don't want to point out sin, they don't want to talk about specifics, they don't want to be pointed, they don't want... Joel C. says, I don't use the word sin. I don't use... Well, how do you show people their transgression in the house of Jacob their sins if you don't use the word sin? He said, I don't use the word hell. He said, I don't like to say anything negative. But I would submit to you that the only purpose of preaching is to be able to point out people's sins. Because look, let me tell you something. People do a pretty good job at encouraging themselves. I mean, they could be totally in the wrong, doing the wrong thing, committing adultery with their brother's wife, and they're going to find a way to encourage themselves. People don't need to be encouraged. They need to be corrected. They need to be reviewed. They need to be showed what they're doing wrong. And here, John the Baptist looks at this man and says, Look, it is not lawful for you to have her. And it gets him put in prison. Now, here's what I think is interesting. The book of John tells us, and I don't have time to show it to you, but you can go back to Matthew. The book of John tells us that John did no miracles. So John the Baptist performed no miracles. He never healed anyone. You know, there was other prophets that performed miracles. John did no miracles. All he did was preach. And when Jesus comes on the scene, Herod says, Hey, that Jesus guy, that guy really reminds me of John the Baptist. In fact, I think that's just John the Baptist risen from the grave. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? Because people say, well, Jesus was performing miracles, and maybe John was performing miracles, so he just thought that John was performing miracles, uh, uh, that Jesus was performing because he was John. But here's the thing, John never performed the miracle. And in fact, if you look at, go back to Matthew 14, look at verse 2. 
Matthew 14 verse 2, it says, And said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. And therefore, the word therefore means because of this reason. Because of what reason? This is this guy just kind of thinking in his head. Okay, so you, I just want you to see what he's thinking. He says, therefore, he says, because he is risen from the dead, he says, for that reason, mighty works to show forth themselves in him. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, Jesus is John the Baptist. And he says, I know John the Baptist didn't heal anybody. I said, he must, he says, he must be healing people now because he rose from the grave, so he's got some sort of power. But I want you to understand, and the only reason I'm going through this, he identified Jesus with the type of preaching that pointed at his face and said, it is not lawful for thee to have her. So that proves to us, and shows for us yet one more time, that Jesus was not this limp-wristed, just effeminate preacher going around trying to tell everybody that he loves him. Obviously, Jesus must have been preaching pretty hard. If John the Baptist, if, if, when they heard his preaching, they said, man, is that John the Baptist risen from the dead? And biblical preaching is preaching that corrects people's sins. Because look, let me tell you something. The only way to have a happy life, the only way to have a happy marriage, the only way to have good finance, the only way to have all the things that God wants you to have is to get the sin out of your life. Amen. So the Bible says, show my people their transgression, the house of Jacob their sin. Go back to Matthew 14. That was just kind of all introduction. Look at verse 6. Here's what I really want to show you. Matthew 14 and verse number 6. Matthew 14 and verse 6. I want you to notice, we're going to go through the story now. I just want you to notice two things about Herod tonight. And then we're going to close with just one thought about Jesus. But two things about Herod. Herod, you, you can tell through the story that this guy has a lack of character. Obviously, he has a lack of character. He's committing adultery with, uh, you know, his sister-in-law. For those of you that don't know what I mean when I say the word character, what I'm talking about is self-discipline. An individual that cannot control himself. An individual that constantly takes the path of least resistance. Whatever is easiest to do. I'm going to take that. And we see this in the story about Herod. The first thing I'd like you to notice is Herod's lack of character caused him to make a hasty promise. Notice Matthew 14 and verse 6. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias, that's the woman he's committing adultery with, danced before them and pleased Herod, whatever that means. Look at verse 7. Whereupon, he promised with an oath. So this girl comes out, she dances in front of him. He was pleased by her dancing, the Bible says. So he is in a moment of enjoyment, or a moment of pleasure, and a moment of just kind of, you know, uh, he's happy. Notice what he does, verse 7. Whereupon, he promised with an oath. To give her whatsoever she asks. So this girl just dances for him, and he's like, I'll give you whatever you want. Verse 8. And she, being before instructed of her mother... Okay, so what does that tell us? That tells us this. He's used to telling girls that dance for him, I'll give you whatever you want. Because his mom, the mom of the young lady, knows, hey, you're going to go dance for Herod? Let me tell you, when he, when, if you do a good job, he's going to offer you whatever you ask. And let me just go ahead and instruct you, here's what you should ask. Notice verse 8. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, give me here John Baptist's head in a charge. Because, of course, when John's preaching against Herod having Philip's wife, then, of course, he's preaching against this woman as well. And she's mad about it. She's upset about it. So, he, she gets Herod to throw John in prison, and then the daughter dances in front of him. The Bible says that it pleased Herod, and he opens his big mouth, and he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head and a charger. Now notice verse 9. 
and the king was sorry. Okay, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to kill John. I, I actually think Herod liked John. Even though he preached against him, he knew, hey, at least this guy knows what he believes in. And the king was sorry, now notice this, nevertheless, for the old's sake. You see that? For the old's sake. And then when she had to meet with him, he commanded it to be given her. We see Herod's lack of character in making hasty promises. Now, keep your finger there, Matthew 14, we're going to come back to it. But go to Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter 30, in the Old Testament you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. The fourth book in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 30. Numbers chapter number 30. I'd like you to look at verse number 2. Numbers chapter number 30. And verse number 2. Numbers chapter number 30 and verse 2. The Bible says, If a man vow vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, Notice what it says. He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. I want you to understand that. God expects you to keep your promises. When you open your mouth, God expects you. He says, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Now go to Ecclesiastes. You're there in Numbers? Go to Ecclesiastes. If you can find, you know, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes... Right before the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. And I, this is something I've not taught a lot today. Uh, but I want you to notice. When you open your mouth and you make a vow. Or you make a promise. Or you commit yourself to do something. God expects you to keep that promise. He says he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that that proceedeth out of his mouth. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 in verse 4, the Bible says, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 4 says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, notice what it says, Defer not to pay it, for he have no pleasure in fools. Now notice this, pay that which thou hast vowed. The Bible says, if you make a vow to God, if you say, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, or I'm going to make a promise, now here's the thing, God expects you to keep that promise, God expects you to pay. You say, well, what are you trying to say, Pastor? Here's what I'm trying to say. Since God expects you to keep your promise, don't make hasty promises. Amen. Don't open your mouth, just... just just flippantly and say, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to come into this, and I'm going to do this. You know, because God is going to hold it. And notice, God considers it a sin when you don't do what you said you were going to do. Are you, are you there uh, in verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 5? Look at verse 5. Ecclesiastes 5, 5. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer. The word suffer means allow. He says, suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. He says, don't allow your mouth to cause your flesh to sin. He says, don't open your mouth and make a vow and make a promise and then go back on it. He said, that's a sin. You're allowing your flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Don't people like to say that? Well, I just, (laughs) I buried the wrong person. Hey, don't tell the angel it was an error. God doesn't want to hear it. Just don't make a vow if you're not going to keep it. Well, I, just, I know that I committed to this, God, but I can't do it. Then don't open your mouth. Because he says, look, suffer not by mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Notice, wherefore should God be angry at thy voice? Now listen to me. Don't you pray with your voice? I don't want God 
mad every time he hears me talk. And if you want to get God to be mad at your voice, go around making a bunch of promises that you don't plan on keeping. And the Bible says, wherefore should God be angry at thy voice? I don't want every time I open my mouth for God to be like, ah, I can't stand that voice. Why? Because he's always lying. Why? Because he's never doing what he said he's going to do. She's not doing what she said she was going to do. She made a vow. She made a promise. She said she's going to do this. He said he's going to do this. And destroy the work of thine hands. This reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. Let's look at it. Judges, chapter 11. Judges, chapter number 11. you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. And then you got the book of Judges. Judges, chapter number 11. We, we saw it when we were studying through the book of Judges, but let's just look at it just real quickly. Reminds me of the story of Jephthah in the, in the book of Judges. Remember Jephthah? Jephthah had a good attribute and a bad attribute. He did a bad thing in a very good way. And if you're there in Judges chapter 11, look at verse 30. Judges 11 and verse 30, the Bible says, And Jephthah, now just, we don't have time to read the whole chapter and go through the story, but if you remember, Jephthah was a military leader at this time, and he finds himself in a little bit of a battle, and he's kind of afraid that he's going to lose. And he begins to try to coerce God, or to try to make a deal with God, how we often do. You know, you know when you're in trouble, you're in the emergency room, you're saying, God, if you just let me get through this. <laughs> I promise I won't skip church anymore. You know, it's like that kind of thing. In Judges 11, verse 3, the Bible says, And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord. So he made a vow. And said, now notice what he says, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whosoever, that, I'm sorry, that whatsoever cometh forth at the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now that was, his heart was in the right place, but that was a stupid vow. He should have never made it. Look, you should never make a deal with God. You should never try to say, well God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. That's not how we approach God. We ought to approach God with a humble spirit and saying, God, I need your help. You're the only one that can help me. I can't get myself out of this. Lord, will you please help me? But, but Jephthah approaches this thing and says, God, if you do this, if you give me this battle, then whatever comes out of my house, the first thing that means to me, I'm going to sacrifice it unto you, God. Now look at verse 32. So Jephthah passed over unto the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. Now look, I believe the Lord is going to deliver them into his hands without the battle. I think if he would just pray and ask God to help him, God would have delivered them out of his hands. But he opened his mouth and he made a vow. Look at verse 33. And he smote them from Aurora, even till thou come to Minith, uh, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards, with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Verse 34. And Jephthah came to Mishpeth unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels. And with dances. And she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her. That he rent his clothes and said. Alas my daughter. Thou hast brought me very low. And thou art one of them that trouble me. For notice. I have opened my mouth unto the Lord. And I cannot go back. And if you read the rest of the story. You'll find that Jephthah sacrificed his daughter. I say, well, do you think he should have sacrificed his vow? I think he should have never made the vow. Was it right for him to make a vow? No, it was a really dumb thing to do. But, you know, I do think it was... the He did a bad thing in a very right way. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I think I would have just backed out on that vow. You know what I mean? I'd be like, okay, God, I'm sorry. Just punish me. Do whatever you're going to do. I made a vow, and I'm going to break it right now. I'm sinning against you. And I probably wouldn't have sacrificed. But you know what? Whatever Jeff 
the, you know, people like to go back and forth about Jephthah. I'll say this about Jephthah. He's in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. God, God mentioned him as a great man of faith, so obviously he had a great walk with God. But I, I'll say this. I wish people that were married had this attitude about the vows they make. I have opened my mouth unto the Lord. I cannot go back. Well, you don't understand. When I married them, they were this and they were that. Look, I've made a vow to the Lord. I can't go back. It is a wrong thing. Here's what I'm trying to say. God expects you to keep your vows. God expects you to keep your promises. God wants you to do it. So since God wants you to do it, hey, just be very careful to not make hasty vows. It's very easy during a time of pressure, and it's very easy during a time of pleasure to make a vow that you're going to regret. Be hasty. Notice what Jesus says. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. You're there. You're wearing Matthew 14, but look at Matthew 5. And by the way, I'm amazed at the people, just the amount of people that, you know, say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and just back, you know, I, I, I don't know, I, I, I guess I didn't grow up in a lot, of, I, well, I didn't grow up in any of your homes, you know, but just the, the way, the house I grew up in, the way I was raised, the church I went to as a kid, if you said you were going to do it, you do something, you did it, even if it was for the wrong, you just did it just to save face. I mean, I'm just surprised with the people that say, Pastor, I'm going to do this for you. They do it for two weeks and they don't do it again. And it's like, you know, no, no shame, no embarrassment, no mention it, like it never happened. That's a bad character. Are you there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33? Matthew 5, 33. Notice what Jesus says. Again, ye have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all. That's, a, that's good. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. You know, go, go to Proverbs, just real quickly, Proverbs 17, and keep your finger there in Proverbs, we're going to go back to Matthew, and then we're going to go back to Proverbs, okay, so keep, have, a, have a finger or something in Matthew, go to Proverbs 17, we're going to go back to Matthew, then we're going to go back to Proverbs, alright? Proverbs 17 verse 28, you say, well what should I do? Don't make a vow. What should I do? Don't make a promise that you don't plan to keep. God expects you to keep your vow, and even if you make a dumb vow, God expects you to keep it. Jephthah made it into the hall of faith, I think probably partly because he kept the vow that he made to God. It was a dumb vow, yeah. He should have never made the vow, yeah. But God expects you to keep your vow. Are you there in Proverbs 17, 28? This will be a good life verse for some of us. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. I think just sometimes we talk a little too much. Like, I'm a preacher. I talk a lot. That's what I do for a living. I get it. But I think sometimes, you know, even a fool, when he doesn't say anything, people think, well, that's a smart guy. And he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. I think if you do not have the character to keep your promise... Shut your mouth. Don't make a promise. Just don't make a vow. Just don't say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to give that, I'm going to be there, I'm going to do... Just don't do that. If, you're not, if you don't have the character to do it, and don't during a time of pleasure, and don't during a time of pressure, open your mouth and make a vow that you're going to regret. Go back to Matthew 14. I want you to notice Herod's lack of character caused him to make a hasty promise. But number two, I'd like you to see, Herod's lack of character caused him to give in to peer pressure. Notice what it says, Matthew 14, verse 9. And the king was sorry. I mean, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to kill Scott. He didn't want to behead him. He was okay with putting him in prison, but he didn't want 
And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, so that was his hasty promise, but notice this, and, you see the word and? So here's an additional reason. And, here's why he did it, them which sat with him at meat. Do you see that? He commanded it to be given her. Why did Herod give the order to kill a man that even though preached against him, obviously he respected or he liked to some extent because he didn't want to kill him. He was okay with him in prison because of the mistress, but he didn't want to put him to death. Why did he do it? Because of a hasty promise, because of the oath sake. But he also did it because of them which sat with him at me. I think it's interesting. Herod is a political leader, a powerful man, controls the fort of that providence. I, I mean, he must be strong. He, he must know what he's doing militarily. He's gone up the ranks. And even Herod, sitting at a table with a bunch of friends, is subject to peer pressure. The Bible says, because of them which sat at meat with him. See, he, he opened his big mouth in front of his friends. Now he has to do something he's going to regret because of his promise and because of his friend, because of peer pressure. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison, and his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And you know, you see this in, just in the short story, you see in the life of Herod that he, he, he must be a strong guy, I would imagine. I mean, he's a political leader, but he's given it to everybody. I mean, go back to verse 3. Do you remember this? Matthew 14, verse 3. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for, notice, Herodias' sake. His brother comes what? Why did he arrest him to be? When John pointed at Herod and said, it's not lawful for thee to have you. Herod, I mean, he, maybe he didn't like it or whatever, but I mean, he was fine with it. But then the girlfriend comes along and says, you need to put him in prison. And he puts him in prison because of Herodias' sake. His brother Phil's wife. Look at verse 8. And she being before instructed of her mother said, Give me here John Baptist's head and a charger. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the old sake. And then we sat to meet with him. He commanded it to be given her. So, you got one woman telling him to put John in prison. You got another woman telling him to kill John. And here you got Herod, who's supposed to be the leader. Who's supposed to be the strong man. And he's just like, yes ma'am, yes ma'am, yes ma'am, yes ma'am. Let me tell you, that's how most marriages run today in America. Yes ma'am. You know, we live in this society where it's supposed to be like, you know, the Bible teaches that men are to leave their homes. Amen. That women are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. And that wives are to be loved as Christ loved the church. And yet today, we're told by an enlightened society that that's not how marriage should be. Marriage should be 50-50. But you know what? It's a lie. Because they tell us marriage should be 50-50. But then it becomes the man being sub- submissive to the wife. Show me a marriage that's 50-50. There is none. You either have a biblical marriage where a man is leading and a woman is submitting, or you have what 90% of marriages are today, a woman is leading and a man is submitting. And that's the truth, and people don't like to hear it, people don't like to preach it, but guess what? We have John the Baptist type preaching here. It's pointed. And you need to understand, this is not of God, and, and I get sick and tired of this rhetoric and these jokes, they're not funny, of these fundamental Baptist women saying, oh, well, we just let them lead, and, and we really, we're in charge. You need to get right with them. Because the Bible says that a man is to lead, and you husbands, if you're afraid of your wife, you need to get right with God, grow some hair on your legs, and begin to lead. Because Herod, we had a great man of God, John the Baptist, why? Because one guy can't stand up to his girlfriend, and his girlfriend's kid. And isn't that the truth today? Guys are afraid of their wives, and 
they're afraid of the children. Let me say something. In leadership, if you're ever afraid of who you're supposed to be leading, you've lost the battle. If you're, if you're afraid of your kids, which a lot of parents are, you've already lost the battle. You think I'm afraid of my children? Look, I love my children with all my heart. I'd give my life for them. You think I'm scared of my kids? They're scared of me when they felt in my hand. Okay? You think I'm afraid of my wife? I love my wife with all my heart. I'm blessed. I'm, she's a much better wife than I am a husband. I don't have to worry. I mean, she, she follows God closer than I do. That's the truth. But look, I don't run my, my marriage afraid that my wife's going to leave me. I don't pastor this church. I pray that you're going to get mad and leave. If you get mad, leave. There's a door. I love you. I'll pray for you. I'll visit you at the hospital on 4th of July. I'll do whatever you need me to do. But leaders should not be afraid of those they follow. It's supposed to be 50-50. And that's why 50% of marriages are ending in divorce. Because look, there's always a leader. There's always a leader. There's no 50-50. Either you're leading, sir, or she's leading. And here you got Herod running around with his tail between his legs, taking orders from the girlfriend and the girlfriend's daughter. And a great man of God was put to death because of it. Why? Because of a hasty promise. And because of peer pressure. And look, we're all subject to peer pressure. Go to Proverbs. Do you keep your finger there? Proverbs chapter 13. Say, Pastor, are you mad? No, we're just in Matthew 14. (laughs) Matthew 14, look at verse... I'm sorry, Proverbs 13. Look at verse 20. Peer pressure, and look, peer pressure is not just something that happens to teenagers. It happens to all of us. It happens to political leaders. This is why it's so important who you allow to be around you, who you allow to influence you. Proverbs 13 and verse 20, notice what it says. Proverbs 13 and verse 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 22, look at verse 24. Proverbs 22, verse 24. Proverbs 22 and verse 24. The Bible says, Make no friendship with an angry man. Say, why should I not make a friendship with an angry man? And with a furious man thou shalt not go. Why should I not go with a furious man? Look at verse 25. Last, the word unless. The word last means unless. He says, Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man shalt thou not go. Why? Unless, lest thou learn his ways. And get a snare to thy soul. Don't you know that you will be like the people you're around? Birds of a feather flock together. And it is very important. Somebody was telling me, I don't know if I read this, I can't remember if I read this, or somebody was telling me that they read it. But um, I've heard this a couple times, so I, I must have read it and heard it. But um, I haven't sat down and, and done this, but you know, maybe you should let me know how it goes. But somebody said, they did a study and they found that if you take your five closest friends, your five closest friends, and you find their, uh, the average of their income, so how much they make, divide, you know, all, add all five of them, and they divide it by five, you will have your influence. Because the people you are around will influence the way you are. See, so you say, I'm, I'm always broke, because all your friends are broke. That's why you're broke. <laughs> my marriage is falling apart, because everybody around you's marriage is falling apart. I, I, I can't raise my kids, because nobody else around you can raise their kids. Look, if you want to have a good marriage, get around people that have a good marriage. You want to have good kids? Find somebody who raised them good kids and get around those people. You want to have money? Find people that know what they're doing with money and get around them. But see, we hang out with these people. And if you want to be wise, you walk with wise people and you will be wise. But if you want to be a fool, walk around with fools and you'll be destroyed. The Bible says. It's peer pressure. Look at Proverbs 27, look at verse 17. Proverbs 27, verse 17. 
Proverbs 27 and verse 17. Proverbs 27 and verse 17. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Your friends ought to be... You have, you have, look for friends that are better than you. That's why I, I love spending time with, with uh, Pastor Anderson. Why? Because I'll be the first to say, he's a much better Christian than I. And that sharpens me. Look, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm the pastor of the church. I don't want to be the godliest guy in the group of people that are my friends. Because I'm probably not going to pull them up. They're probably going to pull me down. Iron sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. This is why it is so important who you allow to influence you. And by the way, I'm of the, under, I'm of the belief, and you may agree with this or you may not agree with it, I don't really care. But I'm of the belief that your social life should be surrounded by church. Amen. That all your friends, I'm not saying we should be not, you know, we should be friendly to co-workers and neighbors, I get that. But your closest friends and your social life ought to be surrounded by people that are going the same direction you are. That believe what you believe, that are on the same track as you are. Because if you walk with wise men, ye shall be wise. What was the lack of character of Herod? He made a hasty promise. He was in pleasure. Jephthah made a hasty promise because he was under pressure. And he allowed fear pressure to influence Go back to Matthew 14. We're, we're done right here. Look at verse 12. We're done with the preaching. I'm just going to give you one last thought before next week we'll... Next week we'll deal with the feeding of the 5,000. I'm sure that'll be encouraging. So you can look forward to that. Matthew 14. Look at verse 12. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it. And went and told Jesus. Notice, they told Jesus about the fact that John was put to death. Verse 13. When Jesus heard of it, heard of what? Of the death of John. When he heard of it, the fact that John had been beheaded, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. So he went alone. He wanted to be apart from the crowd when he heard of the death of his very good friend, John the Baptist. His relative, John the Baptist. Obviously, Jesus is grieving. Obviously, he's, ups- he's upset. He's bothered by this. He said, I don't want to be with all these people. I want to go by myself. And notice what happens. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, notice, and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Now hold on a second. In verse 13, he hears of John the Baptist. He said, I want to be alone. He said, I want to depart. He said, I need time to grieve. And then the people follow him. And then when he sees them, he's moved with compassion toward them. And he doesn't send them away. He doesn't say, hey, you know, I need some time. John died. I need to be alone. He had compassion on them. He was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. I just want to... This isn't really for you. Maybe for some of you. It's for those of you that want to minister to people. And that's not just in the role of a pastor. But in the role of just, I want my life to be invested in people. See, being part of a ministry and being a minister are two different things. You can be part of a ministry, and you can be a minister. People who are part of a ministry, minister until it is inconvenient. Or until they're going through something. Or until their cousin died. 
or until they need some time alone, until it's no longer easy. But a minister will minister when it's not convenient, when it is convenient. When your family member dies and you need, you're, you're need time to grieve, but there's people that need to be helped. You, a minister, you know, I, I, I don't know, I think it's funny, but, you know, you, you'll come to church, you know, I'll, I'll come to church. The pastor will come to church with a fever, you know, just got done throwing up at home, shows up at the church. I mean, I, I've had church services where I'm laying in bed. My wife calls me and says, we're taking the offering, and I get out of bed, come to church, walk up the pulpit, preach for 45 minutes, walk back home, and lay down in bed. I'm, I'm that sick. And, and then the next week, somebody says to me, oh, we stay at home because, you know, the dog has a sniffle. And we just thought maybe, or, you know, and, and we make up these issues. And here's the, I'm not mad at you, I'm just saying this. Being part of a ministry and being a minister, they're two different things. You can be part of a ministry, and when you're part of a ministry, yeah, you'll go soul winning while it's convenient. You'll go soul winning while you're happy. Look, anybody can serve when they're happy. Jesus was grieved. He said, I need to be alone. He said, John the Baptist died. He said, I love John. But when the people showed up, he said, you know what, let me put that aside. See, when you minister to people, you don't get a day off. They don't really care what you're going through. They don't really care. You're expected to love and be moved with compassion toward them. It's like kids. You, you moms, you know it. You're sick. They don't care. They still need breakfast. <laughs> they still need lunch. They still need all the things that you need to provide for them. That's what a minister does. That's what Jesus was doing. He said, I need time alone. But when they showed up, he said, I'm not going to send them away. He said, I'll, I'll help them. But Jesus, aren't you sad? Uh, yeah, I'm sad, but I'm going to help them. Why? Because Jesus was a minister. He wasn't just part of a ministry. Bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Lord, thank you for Matthew 14, just as we go through it and pull out some truths, Lord. I pray that these truths would not just fall on deaf ears. Father, that we would be encouraged to be like Christ, to minister to people, even when it's not convenient, to, to be faithful, even when it's not easy. Lord, help us to not be like Herod, who in a time of pleasure and in a time of pressure made a hasty promise. Help us not to be like Herod, who is succumbed to peer pressure. Father, help us to be strong in our faith. Help us to not make hasty vows, and when we do make a vow, help us to take it seriously and prayerfully and have every intention to pay it. Father, I pray you'd help us to be more like Christ every day. We love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.